Welcome, everybody. How's everyone feeling? Awesome. Right. Is it a good meal? Does everyone feel nice and tired? We're all gonna stand now and give the Lord <coughs> give the Lord pra uh, praise and worship.
else. Thank you, God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. We all need a defender sometime. It's our Lord God is our defender through all things. Thank you, Jesus. Your love defends me. Your love. 
sound beautiful.
you are amazing. You're amazing love.
services on Monday night, Tuesday night, and Thursday night at 5 o'clock here. We have a wonderful Bible study on Monday. We have a prayer service on Tuesday. And we also have a uh, leadership training on Thursday. You're all welcome to come. Um, if you want to get involved and want to talk to somebody about it, talk to somebody about it, come get involved. We want, we want to see you guys there. Amen? Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 and 15 says this, it says, Now therefore, fear the Lord, serve Him in sincerity, fear and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river, and in Egypt, serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen? Amen? All right, we're going to invite our brother Jimmy up, and he's going to uh, do praise reports and prayer requests. Welcome, brothers and sisters. Again, it's a, it's a privilege and honor to be here, second week in a row. Thank you, guys. Those who were here last week, I thank everybody for their prayers and their thoughts towards me and all their help and support. Thank you very much. Um, I want to start off by apologizing. I didn't. We prayed last week, but I didn't get your prayer requests. I'm very sorry. I know for some of us, it's really important that we voice those prayers so that the congregation can can start praying. Um, but we did pray, and God heard your prayers. God heard your hearts. Um, I have a praise report, so I'm going to start. If that's okay. A uh, little history. Um, those of you who have been with me at Cook or Kingman, um, you may have heard me talk about my daughter, right? 
um, Henry, uh, Mar, my a lot of people that uh, that know me uh, know that about my daughter. Um, when she was eight years old, she had she she started to uh, collect tumors in her head, and she would start getting uh, seizures. So. Um, that started when she was eight years old. It lasted for five years. She, she was healed uh, when she was 13 years old. Um, but it came by a bunch of surgeries. And, you know, God's timing, which is very important. Uh, I remember praying for um, God to take that away from her and to, to give that to me. Go ahead, God. Pass that on to me. Like, like he doesn't know what he's doing. And I, I told Deb that. And she's like, well, now you can thank him. Because I'm sitting here with tumors and, and cancer and so, but I did. I did thank him in all of that. It was a growing process. And I started mine in 2018 when I first started noticing that there was lumps in my hand. And ironically, that lasted five years. So I'm just going to say I'm healed. <laughs> um, I, I have some scans and stuff we got to do, but I'm going to say I'm healed. Um, but I, I wanted like a supernatural thing to happen. You know, because you don't want your kids to go through those kinds of things. And, and I'm looking for something supernatural, but God had other ideas. He had to take her through what she had to go through. I had to, he had to take me what I had to go through. But there's always, there's always relief on the other side. Remember we talked about challenges and, and God always putting you in the face of adversity. There's always relief because he comes to our aid, right? His, his arm is never too short to save nor is it ever too short to pull you out of um, a trial or a challenge or adversity. Um, um, just want to say to all of us, everybody heard each other's prayers here tonight. Um, this isn't where it ends. I would um, challenge everybody to try to remember the thoughts and, and heavy things that are in our hearts when we're at home, as soon as we wake up and we pray to God that, that we, that we um, think about these things, because these are our brothers, these are our sisters, and we, we love you guys, so um, let, us, let us not forget. So Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we come to you, thanking you, Lord, for this day. Uh, let us never take a day that you allow us to have together for granted. Father, you heard the hearts and the voices today. Uh, all of these situations are in your hands. And they're the perfect hands to be in. So we trust you fully and wholly in, um, in everything that you're going to do according to your will, according to our needs. Father, we, we ask you to bless those that are hungry, those that are thirsty, and that you would uh, provide for them as, as you do for us. We thank you for all of your provision. We pray for our mothers, our fathers, brothers, sisters, and children, and all those unmentioned today. Every prayer that was mentioned and unmentioned here, Father, they're in your hands, and we just pray that you would uh, that you would do what you do, that you would be the God that you are and the God that you've showed us. You've showed everybody here something beautiful in our lives, and it never stops. And we just thank you for that, Father. We thank you for salvation for our families, our loved ones. Ultimately, we just thank you for your grace, your love, your mercy, your your spirit. We thank you for everything, Father, that, that you give us, Father. So again, let us, let us act like a family. Let us love each other like a family. And let us go out and love those that are in need of love. So in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, Father, we thank you. We love you. Amen.
Amen. As I've been talking to brothers this week, one of the main things that I've been hearing is a lot of brothers are, are saying that they've been lacking in their prayer life. And they want stronger prayer life. And one of the things I learned quickly in my prayer life is the best way to, to strengthen your prayer life is find somebody to pray for. Ask your co-workers, ask your family, ask your friends, your housemates, and ask them if you can pray for them and pray for them. That'll strengthen your prayer life. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, let's invite our preacher in and hear the word of God. And... Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's go home. <laughs> It'll make you think, won't it? Um, thank you for praying and bringing my wonderful stuff to the house to help me get over whatever this was. Um, wasn't fun. It's a good reminder. Um, we don't always have rosy and best days, and that's kind of what we're talking about today. But um, sometimes you have to be reminded of the people around you and just how much you are loved. Um, you can get in your own head and kind of do your own thing, and God says, look, there are people around you who care for you and are paying attention to you more so than you even think. And um, I just, like, I was brought soup. And I like soup when I'm sick. I like spicy soup because it usually opens up everything. I don't think anybody knows that. And yet, I got two cans of spicy soup and I'm going, huh, all right, well, well praise God. You know, it's just that people are paying attention to you. And even... On uh, even this week, I think I went to Dairy Queen or something like that, and somebody actually bought my food because I did not cut them off in line. And I went, who does that anymore? It's like usually we're the ones that are doing that for other people. Then when somebody does that for us, we're going, this is weird. <laughs> and it was weird, but it was also a blessing because it, it reminded me, especially since I'm driving a lot and I deal with people on the road, the people on the road don't exactly strike me as... Um, really thinking in a community sense. They're generally thinking, I and my car on the road and everybody else has to move. So you drive defensively and, and, and for me assertively in order to stay away from these people. And here's one person that's like, thank you for your kindness. And I'm going, huh, wow. Praise God for reminding me that not everybody on the road is crazy. Um, if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew, the 28th chapter. And we're going to try, and not try, we are uh, going to get through this to the best of God, um, the ability that God provides, because I'm not going to let being, or coming from being under the weather, try to keep me down. So that's not going to happen. Um, but I do want to urge that we pray, especially for the people in this church, even if they're not serving in a capacity that's visible, because I guarantee you, and as you'll see in what we talk about, and I've said this many times, everybody in this church is a target. Everybody in church is a target. Not just this one. Everybody in church is a target. And so when you see people who are the tip of the sphere, people who are out there, you definitely want to keep them in prayer because the more visible you are, the more of a target you are. Um, but even people who contribute, you'd be surprised at how many threads can unravel when God, when, um, when guys get attacked and all of a sudden they're not here, or women get attacked and all of a sudden they're not here. And uh, Deb and I and um, uh, Jimmy had a conversation about this last Wednesday, the fact that when things happen, um, it affects the body. 
I mean, you may think that one absence doesn't affect us. And you think, okay, well, Kevin's not here. Yeah, that affects us, yeah. right? Because we had to run around trying to figure out what we're going to do and make plans at the last minute. But by the same token, having um, somebody who's not in a visible position and they're absent still is impactful. Because I could sit down and talk to Ray about something completely different than anything that we're doing here. We're just sitting down and having a conversation about the cupcakes. And he happens to say something that he went through. And I go, you know what, Lord, you're awesome. Because I see that you brought Ray through that and that's a reminder that I just need to keep my head up, keep my eyes focused on the hills from whence comes my help, and to not get distracted by the distractions. And so when you're not here, and I'm not saying, you know, we're gonna come after you because you're not here, because people travel, people do things. But everybody, when they come here, has something to contribute to helping everybody else grow. And I will probably say that till I'm blue in the face, but it's true. Everybody here is contributing to the growth of the body for everybody else. Matthew the 28th chapter, and today we're going to talk about being a confident ambassador. Being a confident ambassador. Uh, how many of y'all know what Matthew 28, 18 through 20 is? What is it? The Great Commission. So we're going to read the Great Commission, and then we're going to talk about some things in pertaining to being a confident Ambassador, because all of us have been commissioned to go out and do these things. But then how come we don't see them to the full extent of what we know they could be? So would you all stand? And i put these things on. Age. <laughs> The Bible reads, Matthew 28, 18-20, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Father, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you yet again for your word, for bringing us together to hear your word. We pray that it is your spirit that speaks to us and your spirit that waters, that grows the seed that has been given to each and every one of us that we may not only hear your word and understand it, but grow by it, be able to go out, be strengthened by it, encouraged by it, edified by it, and to turn around and be able to share it with others. We thank you for the mighty privilege that you have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light and given us such a ministry to bring reconciliation to the rest of the world as you have reconciled us. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. The Great Commission um, for each and every one of us is impactful because it literally tells us to get off of our... Um, comfort zone <laughs> and to go out and to accomplish something for the kingdom but there are two parts to the great commission the first part is that Jesus lets them know and lets us know that power has been given unto him right not accurate that's what got that we can go to Genesis 3 and talk about how being inaccurate with the word of God got people in trouble <laughs> but we won't do that today he didn't say power is given to me. He said what? All. All power. 
And we may think that that's dunamis, that's dynamite, that's ability, that's force. He said all exousia, all authority. In other words, it's as if Jesus is a five-star square general that's in charge of all the other branches of the military. He's not outranked, and no matter what anybody under him says, what he says goes. There is no joint chiefs of staff, there is just the chief of staff, and that is Jesus Christ. Well, for the kingdom of God, that is incredibly powerful for us because we are the body of Christ, and our head has all power. However, that's not just all power in the church. That's not all power for Christians. He has all power over everything, including the keys of death and hell. Nobody is going to say, well, I know Jesus said, but I'm going to do something else. Not even Satan. And so when it comes to that, the church ought to take great comfort in knowing that he who is sending us out is sending us out in the authority of the name of Jesus Christ, the name that has all power in heaven and on earth. So he sets this foundation for his disciples. You go out, well, first and foremost, realize that all power has been given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore. So the therefore is based on all power is given unto me. Jesus has all power. Go therefore because I have all power. What's the next verse? Because you went backwards. <laughs> and I have to get used to this. Go ye therefore, or go therefore. Y'all can tell I'm a King James reader. That's just, you know, after preaching and reading for years and years and years, King James, the ye is not going anywhere. But go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. Not only is he giving us instruction, go ye therefore, make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them. But then he also turns around and says, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Does that mean when you go home to your house and you go, you know, to uh, sit in your backyard that Jesus says, oh, he's at home, I'm going to leave him alone. No. Does that mean when you're at work in that office with the boss and you guys are having a very heated conversation, Jesus says, I'm stepping out for this one? No. I am with you always. Always. So not the, the, the continuation of the walk that these disciples and us, but mainly the disciples because they walked with him physically. The relationship only change because the physicality of Jesus is now gone. But Jesus is still with these disciples and with us, no matter what the case may be, at all times. Say that. All times. Even when you feel by yourself at... Even when you think you're on top of the mountain. So there is not a place that you can go to even if it's Kingman, Geo, CACF, Florence, Sao Rita, wherever the rest of these are called, um, LBJ, Tur Towers, Durango, Madison. <laughs> Nowhere you go, you're going to be away from the presence of Christ. It's not going to happen. 
Why would he tell them that? It's encouraging because now they're going out to carry forth this ministry. It's encouraging to know that the same Jesus they walked with physically is still with them, even though he's not physically present. They understood that. We, on the other hand, have a walk that is a little different from theirs because we never walked with Jesus physically, but we walk with him spiritually. But the principles of the walk are not different. They're the same. He is still with us, no matter what we're going through, no matter what we're dealing with, no matter how much we want to run away, and some of us have tried, he's still with us. You say, what does this have to do with confidence? Being a confident ambassador. Because he sent them out with a mission. And he sent them out with the understanding that he has all power. That when they go out and do things in the name of Jesus, according to instruction from the master, he expects things to happen. So we, on the other hand, when we go out, should be confident that when we are standing, ministering, speaking, serving in the name of Jesus, that Jesus' power is effective, that, he, that things will happen. The problem isn't with the power and authority of Jesus Christ. The problem, the problem is with our confidence in our walk. And I'll explain that in a second. Turn, if you will, to Matthew, the 16th chapter. And, and forgive me for a little bit to try and get used to this whole um, being able to see but not being able to see right here. It's a little weird. Get used to it. <laughs> Matthew, the 16th chapter. Because in order to examine what this walk is, we're going to examine somebody who walked with them in a way that all of us can understand. Everybody in this room can understand it. Because every one of us, male or female, can still associate with the ups and downs of the life of a disciple named Peter. Every one of us. There are moments when things have been great, and there are moments when we put our foot in our mouth. But we can all associate with Peter. So, when we walk with Jesus, there's an important part of knowing who we walk with and knowing that we are known fully. Henry sang a song once about um, um, being known, and I, I, we only sang it once, and I wish that we would sing it again. But it literally dovetails into what we're talking about today. The, the first thing you see in Peter, Matthew the 16th chapter, verses 13, is fantastic. It's a revelation that all of us would strive to attain to. Jesus came to the region, the region of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, some others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, Same Simon Peter, who two chapters previously uh, walked on the water because Jesus said, Come. And when he did... Everything was great until he saw that, mm, I'm not supposed to be doing this. And then he started faltering. And he said, Lord, save me. And Jesus says, no, you're on your own, bud. I'm going to keep testing y'all to see if y'all you know, know what the word says. That's not what he said. He didn't even say anything. He reached out and pulled Peter up and then said, why did you doubt? And then they both walked back together on the boat. This same Peter is the first one to speak up when Jesus says, who do you say that I am? 
And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. Powerful. Here you are with a revelation of who Christ is. And the fact that it wasn't something you came up with on your own, but something that the Spirit of God showed you. And you are uh, recognized in such a way that it is uh, permanently etched in Scripture. Good job, Peter. You say, well, I have never been in a position like that. Yes, you have. There has been moments where God has shown you things he has shown nobody else. There has been moments that he's told you about situations that you're getting into. He's given you revelation about himself and his kingdom. There is moments where God has spoken to you intimately and you go, woo, praise God. You feel so close to God. You come out with the glow on your face. You want to tell everybody about it. People are looking at you like you're crazy. They can't understand you. But you know that you've been in the presence of God and he has showed you something. Whether it's on a simple level or on a grand level. But when you have an experience like that with the master, it changes your life. It shows you something. It deepens that relationship. And so here is Peter on probably the highest mountain at that point that he could get to in his relationship where he says, I know who you are, and he's speaking by revelation of the Holy Spirit of God. That's powerful. All of us would love to be in that boat. However, you go a couple, not even a couple verses down. You go to the next verse. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then... Peter. <laughs> then Peter, just coming off of Revelation, just coming off of, wow, God, you're awesome, and I know exactly who you are, and just in front of all the rest of the disciples, yes, I know this man. All of a sudden, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he, being Jesus, turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. You say, well, why the dichotomy? Because the life of Peter is captured in both the revelation that he got from being led by the Spirit of God to the embarrassment of a prideful act that he performed under the influence of Satan. All in the same span of verses. It's like flipping a quarter. He goes from, yay Peter, to, what are you doing? Now, when I say that our life resonates with the very life of Peter, most people would love to be the Peter that's at the top part of this. I got revelation from God. Everything is good. I know who he is. Most of us don't even want to associate with the other side. The foot in the mouth, 
especially the being led or being influenced by Satan enough to have Jesus turn around and rebuke us for it. But that's how we are. And if you walk in a real relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not every day you wake up and hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Some days you're going to wake up and hear, <clears throat> what are you doing? Who are you listening to? Who told you that you were naked? Who is speaking into your ear telling you that you're this, that, and the other? Sometimes we don't like hearing that voice because it means we did something wrong. It means something's up. And sometimes when we don't like hearing that voice, we do, just like they did in Genesis, the third chapter, we figure out a way to work it in there. When we hear Jesus wanting to fellowship with us and spend time with us, because we know we did something that doesn't line up with him, we go run and we hide. We put that Bible down. We put it on that top shelf so we don't have to look at it when we walk in the living room. <laughs> Everybody's just talking about Sekou. Is there anybody else in here that? <laughs> We're mad. And we definitely don't want to hear him say, you know you messed up, don't you? So we put all the things that remind us of God away so that we don't hear that rebuke. Here's the thing about rebuke, though. And if you get it from this and what happened with Peter, I think this would help people a long way in just even doing their job, let alone what goes on in the family let alone hearing from God. When Jesus spoke to Peter, what did he say? Get thee behind me, Satan. He didn't say get behind me, Peter. Because he cut right down to, I know who Peter is, and what this is talking is not Peter. So what is the voice behind what is talking? And let's deal with that. Most people don't like rebuke because they associate everything with themselves the good and the bad so what if Peter would have went when Jesus says you're Jesus you tell me being Peter get thee behind me Satan I'm not going anywhere you don't talk to me you don't tell me what to do I, I know what I'm doing there's a I think you're out of your mind I, I probably, if I'm out of my mind, it's for you, and if I mean, if I'm out of my mind, it's unto the Lord. <laughs> the thing is, he said, "Get behind me, Satan." If Peter would have got upset because he said, "Get behind me, Satan," it means that he would have associated the influence telling him to go a direction he shouldn't have gone with who he actually is, but he didn't. He shut up, which is probably the wise thing to do. He, for once, he was quiet. And he let Jesus rebuke what needed to be rebuked. You say, well, how does that relate to me? Show you. Now, Luis, that's a very ugly sweat. <laughs> now, if Luis turned around, I don't think so, but I'm, we're just using this for the sake of demonstration. If Luis would have turned around and said, he said, I'm ugly, there's a problem there. Y'all see what the problem is. He's associating the sweater with him. Just like some of us, when we turn around and get rebuked for sin, we associate the rebuke against our character instead of the rebuke being something for what it is. This is not who you are. Why are you doing this? This is not who you're created to be. Why do you continue to go down that road? 
And we don't know how to handle that because we associate the old man who we used to be with the new man, and that's not the case. And so when we get rebuked for acting or picking up ways of the old man, we get upset thinking that's who we are, and in actuality, it's Christ saying that's not who you are. Those are not the clothes I called you to wear. That is not the person I called you to be. Why are you picking that up again? Why are you picking up dead works? And so instead of going to God and saying, you're right, Lord, homologia, uh, the theological word, I agree, your word is right, this is not who I am, we get upset and go and pout and hide and put the Bible on the shelf. But when we have a realistic walk with Christ, we realize who he said we are. And then when he does rebuke us, it's because we're exhibiting something that is not who we are called to be or who we are. I'm going to let that marinate for a second. Because I know there's some people in here who uh, get upset. I get upset. Y'all you, know where I work. I mean, they talk about firing people like it's just the easiest thing to do. Oh, you sneeze wrong, you're fired. They don't, but they talk about it so much it gets a little aggravating. And so, yeah, I... I I have to constantly battle, and some of y'all can relate to this, with taking somebody flippantly saying that they're going to fire me as I am a horrible person. Now, I'm not conceited. I'm a little, you know, but I'm not conceited enough to realize that I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread. But I do know that what I do is valuable. But every now and again, somebody tells you they're going to fire you enough times, you start thinking, should I be looking for another job? And the owner got mad. And just to let y'all know, I went out and said something, the owner got mad. I said, who even said that? Just stop talking like that. Just stop. Just stop. So, <laughs> but when you deal with that, and then somebody brings you into their office and they go, you did a horrible job doing this. You did a horrible job doing that. And you leave feeling bad. Is it because you did a horrible job or because you took it as I'm a horrible person? And so you have to be able to put things in proper context with what they need to be. When Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant, or blessed are you, Simon Barjona, or good job, Chris, I, I'm, I'm proud of you, you keep going. He's speaking to the people that he created or recreated in his image. He's speaking to the new creature. When he rebukes you, he's rebuking you for putting something on that new creature or picking up something as that new creature that does not fit the mold. So when we walk with Jesus Christ, it's going to be days where we go, you know what, Lord? Yes, Lord, and amen. Praise God. I'm, I'm just glad. I, I feel pretty. I feel pretty. I feel rosy. And I don't know what the rest of the words are, but somebody played it the other day and it got stuck in my head. But then you have those days when you wake up and the Lord's dealing with you. Dealing with your attitude. Dealing with how you talk to people. Dealing with your thoughts. Dealing with what you're looking at on television. Or even worse, what you're looking at on the computer. And so he turns around and starts rebuking all of these things which are attacking you and ebbing you and, and, and persecuting you in order for you to be free, in order for you to walk away from it and be the person he called you to be. When we walk like that with the Lord Jesus Christ, 
and we mature to the point where we can handle rebuke as well as the praise, as well as the edification, our confidence builds from that because we know who our Lord is. We know where he's taking us. We know what he's doing with us. And we know when he speaks to us with words that seem harsh and can be chastening, it's because he's trying to make us better and release us from the things which hold us back. However, when you walk not in this ideal uh, of Jesus Christ, but you walk with Christ. And the reason why I say ideal is because I, I'm, I'm a little older, obviously, wearing these. But I'm a, <laughs> I'm a little older. So I remember the 70s. I remember the 80s. And I remember coming out of the Jesus People movement and all of these things. And, and praise God, they're, they're talking to the world about Jesus. And it's this great, but yeah, Jesus is your friend. He's your buddy. And I think that's an aspect that's kind of missing from the more ritualistic and rigid ways that were before that. However... You take that too far out of balance and you start to become real disrespectful and real cavalier because you, res you don't respect him as Lord. You see him as friend. You see him as buddy. But in all actuality, he is Lord. He is master of everything. And so when we respect him as Lord and master and understand his authority, but recognize the relationship we are in balance, and we know that we can come to him boldly, but we know to respect who he is. So when you have an ideal of Jesus, you can say whatever you want to, because that's your image that you're trying to make him into. But when you let Jesus be who he is and take the handcuffs off of him, you're going to learn some things that are going to bless you, and you're going to hear some things that might cut you. But at the end of the day, you know and you realize that you are walking with the one that has all power in his hand. And then he is sending you on your direction with his back. You say, well, what does that have to do with confidence? Peter had an option when he heard that. Get behind me, Satan. He could have said, mm, I'm not going to sit here and hear this kind of talk because he's associating being Satan with himself. Or he could say, you know what, Lord? I'm going to follow you, even though some of the things that you're saying are hard for me to deal with. This wasn't the first time that's happened. There's a time in John where they said, you know what? Um, he says, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no place with me. And a lot of people said, this is a hard saying. We don't want nothing to do with it. And the twelve... <laughs> Jesus says, are you guys going to go? And they say, where are we going to go? You're the ones that got the words of eternal life. It's a hard saying. They did not say we don't, we're uncomfortable with what you said. What they said was, despite what you said, we know what you have. We know that the only source of life is you. We will deal with what you said, but there's nowhere to go because there's no life anywhere else. And when we realize that we walk like that, Praise God, we can hear the harsh things and not change direction. But eventually, Peter did get worn down. Eventually, Peter ends up in the Garden of Gethsemane and enough was enough. The pressure gets so heavy on Peter, especially at the crucifixion. He's by himself. 
He's trying to watch from a distance. People are confronting him, and he fails. He fails. He ultimately fails. Turn, if you will, to Luke. Luke 22. Or we can look at the board. But we're going to look at Luke 22, verse 31. The same Peter is now in this scripture, still speaking as Peter. Verse 31, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Then he said, Jesus, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day before you deny me three times that you knew or that you know. Ouch. Ouch. This isn't now. This isn't get behind me, Satan. This is what you're going to do. Because you're not as strong as you think you are. Ouch. A couple things to get from this. Number one, when you and I walk with the Lord in a real relationship, there's a power that comes from that that we're going to talk about in a minute. But when we walk in real relationship, we deal with the rebuke just as much as we deal with, the, um, uh, with, with, with Christ speaking well to us, so to speak, with him blessing us. We deal with both sides because we know what Christ is doing in our lives. But not always are we going to be in our best, on our best behavior, our best self, our best faiths. And so we have to constantly deal with this struggle of when we fall and we get back up, when we fall and when we get back up, because that's going to eat at us. But then we also have to turn around and deal with the fact that because you serve the Lord, you will be attacked. Now, I'm not saying that to bring anybody down, but I want you to hear or uh, remember what you read here. Satan has asked for you. He has asked for you to sift you as wheat. Just like there are people in this congregation that Satan asks for just so that he can try and sift them as wheat because of who they are. But Satan had to do what? He had to ask permission. You mean to tell me he couldn't just do it? <laughs> he couldn't just go and say, you know, I'm going to take this upon myself to go mess with this guy. He had to ask permission. And this is before all power is given unto me under heaven and earth. He had to ask permission. Which means that if you try to give the devil credit for just attacking you on his own initiative, you would be horribly misplaced and giving him way too much power. In order for him to attack you, especially as a believer, he has to ask permission. And when you think about it, there's only so far that he can go. You see uh, uh, images of when Satan had to ask permission, and always when he asked permission, especially with Job, he was given, you can go from here to here and no further. So there are attacks that come against you. You think, oh my goodness, it's the end of the world. This is just too much. Yeah, I'm, you keep quoting that scripture. He will never put more on you than you can bear, but will with a, with, uh, wherewith the temptation will provide a door as a means of escape. And you're going, where's that door? 
I mean, somebody even just gets an attitude with you. You know what, Christian? Where's the door? <laughs> Here's Satan attacking. Oh, I wish I could talk about it, but we, we can't. I wish I could talk about Dragon Warfare. We don't have that kind of time. But he can only attack so much. I, I will say this, because I think it's needed to say. Um, the word dragon... Uh, that you see in Revelation, you look at the etymology of it, one of the things is to elongate, especially in the Old Testament, look in the Greek too, to elongate. Another way is to make yourself bigger. So there are times, some of y'all see where I'm going with this. Y'all see the, the, the puffer fish or the cobra or some of these animals. Even um, somebody has a dog that does this. A kitten. Is it a kitten? Yeah, it's a cat. And so and they, they don't, they have what they have. They're the stature that they have. But when they see a threat or they want to intimidate somebody, they have to figure out a way to make themselves bigger. They're no bigger, they're just appearing bigger. Especially this cat who just turns sideways. Like he's like, yeah, you want some, you want some of me? It's this sideways walking cat. And it looks silly because we're bigger than the cat. And so we're going, get up. Well, no, we don't care. <laughs> Won't kick the cat. Look, I'm getting mean looks from both Debbie. So, yeah. <laughs> Don't kick the cats. Don't kick the cats. But this thing is trying to look bigger than it actually is. And when you're dealing with Lucifer and he's trying to attack you and you, you know, you see through the ruse, there's a there's a lot of times that he will try to make himself bigger than he actually is. To make it seem more intimidating than it actually is. We call that being overwhelmed. And that happens quite often. But when you look past what is overwhelming you to what the reality is, you will find that what is overwhelming you really doesn't have that much power at all. He makes himself bigger than what he appears to be. So when he's asking for Peter, and the Lord didn't say, no, you can't have him. He said, this is going to happen. He's going to sift you as we. He's coming after you to sift you as we. But then what does he say after that? But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brother. What does that, that return sound like? Another word that we use in our word. It's fundamental to Christianity. Repent. It means to turn direction. So somewhere Peter's going to go off the rails and somewhere Peter is going to get in his head that he needs to return. And when he returns, he doesn't go sit in the back and be quiet. <laughs> he doesn't go into the, 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 well, you know, I'm coming back to church, but I'm just going to sit and not participate and nothing like that. It says, when you return, strengthen the brethren. Well, what about all the stuff that Peter did? When you return, strengthen the brethren. Because what about you? When you get in your head that you're going to go down some road and the Lord even says, you know, you're not as strong as you think you are. You're going to go down this road. You're going to get burnt. But when you return, when you repent, and when you return, strengthen your brethren and your sister. So what? You've been to prison. When you return to the Lord, strengthen your brethren. 
So what? You've had a divorce. When you return to the Lord, strengthen your brethren. So what? That you messed up last week. When you return to the Lord, when you repent, strengthen your brethren. Because your mistake, your relapse, your downfall, whatever it is, and the Lord brought you up out of that, is a testimony that gives Him glory and shows just how much that Christ will work to bring back His own. Amen. You are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. You may take that to some crazy places, but He will never leave you nor forsake you. He may leave you to work some things out in your, your flesh till you get tired of it. He will do that. There are some people that, oh, we want flesh. We want chicken. We want pigeon. We want, we want meat. We don't want manna. And God says, okay, I'm going to give it to you until it comes out your nostrils. <laughs> I have never eaten chicken wings the same since. It's always this kind of Hmm. When is enough enough? <laughs> because I think of that. Oh, you want that? I will give you so much of it you'll get sick of it. And then you'll find out that that's really not the source of your happiness. And now I'm preaching about chicken wings right now. But we can talk about some other things that follow the same thing. Oh, you want pornography? I will give you so much of it till you're so burnt out. And you're going... I, I, I'm, so, I'm just disgusted with myself. And I'm disgusted with this. And then Christ says... Now do I have your attention? Did you find what you were looking for? No? You just made more of a mess, huh? Yeah. You just found out more about yourself and more about how helpless you are without me, didn't you? Yeah. You got your act together? Yeah, you ready to come home? Alright, now come on home. Now go talk to your brethren and strengthen them about how he took you out of the evils of pornography so that they don't fall into the same trap. And I can use numbers of different examples. I use pornography because obviously where we're at, that is a problem. But you can talk about drugs, you can talk about addiction, you can talk about um, um, chasing money, any of these. We got people in here who chase money. And they got a penny right now. And if you sit down and try and talk to them about the finer things of life, they may talk to you for a little bit and then they'll tell you, don't waste your time. Follow Jesus Christ. Godliness with content is great game. We have people here that have been highly successful. Chase success. Chase the big names. And guess what? They will tell you at the end of the day, all it did was distract them from their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. They got what they want, and after running after it, chasing it, and getting it, it was empty, and it did them no good. When you return, strengthen the brethren. Not, well, I got this baggage with me. You return to the Lord, strengthen your brethren. Because that baggage has a story that can bless and help somebody else in the situations that they're dealing with. Yeah, you went down a road, you were redeemed, and you were brought back. Your story can help somebody else from even getting to that point. But you will be attacked. Why? Well, number one, if Satan can't attack your relationship, if he can't attack your relationship, he will test your resolve. He can't attack your relationship. And out of that relationship, out of the relationship that each and every one of us have with Christ Jesus, and he says, go ye therefore, therefore because I have all power in heaven and in earth. He doesn't send you out empty. He doesn't send you out weak. 
If you go somewhere and you say in the name of Jesus and you stand confident, things are supposed to happen. Not because I choose to say it, but if, if, if the Lord says, I want you to start a church at CACF, or I want you to start a church here, or I want you to preach this, or I want you to talk to that person. Okay, I'm going to go in the name of Jesus and I'm going to preach according to what he said. I have no, I'm just being obedient. But in that obedience and you speak the words that he tells you or you serve the way he tells you, there is power in that that comes from his authority through a willing vessel that's serving in Jesus' name. So if I can't attack the relationship, because the blood will never lose its power, I ain't going nowhere, you ain't going nowhere. I know some of us, not here, but some people teach, you know, you got to pray enough to stay saved. But at the end of the day, the blood of Jesus Christ to a real believer, you're not going anywhere. Amen. However, if Satan can't attack your relationship, he will attack your resolve. He will get you so dis, just disorganized and discombobulated in your heart, so disenfranchised, so hurt, so angry, so bitter, that you end up not having the same confidence in your walk as you should. The Bible says, protect your heart, for out of it, what? Spring all the issues of life. Turn to Romans, the 10th chapter. Really, I'm getting tired of putting these things on and off, so I'm going to read it off the board. Romans, the 10th chapter. So this is a message that we all look at. We look at the scripture. We preach this often. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Why is that up here and why is that important? Because before you can confess with your mouth, you've got to believe in your heart. So if I can attack your heart, I attack your faith and your confidence. And if I can shake that, then Christ has all the power in the world, but you're not willing to step up and be that ambassador because your own heart is troubled. Therefore, you take yourself out of the race. You take yourself out out of effectiveness, not because he's not effective, but because us not operating in confidence of his word makes us ineffective. <laughs> when your heart is attacked, when you have something going on that gets all the way down there, you're just like, oh, I, I just feel so horrible, I feel so rotten. And then we go, how come the power of God isn't really working in us like, like, like he said it would? It's not because he's powerless. It's because we have allowed something to shake us to the point that we don't stand in confidence and faith as we should. We, I watched a movie years and years ago. because I, I know some of y'all corner me to the side. Pastor, you watch a lot of crazy movies. So look, this movie I watched was almost 25 years ago. 30 years ago. <laughs> Just letting y'all know this. But it was Dracula. <clears throat> and he was in New Orleans. And it was like a different take on Dracula, a different take on the 30 pieces of silver. I think the original Dracula was like Judas or something like that. It was kind of weird. It was like, that's possible, but no, it's not. It's not biblical. But anyways, <laughs> one of the things that was said, this guy, you know, you, when vampires come in and, you know, <sighs> and they do all that stuff, what's the first thing you reach for besides the stick? You reach for the crucifix. Get back. Get back. <laughs> And, 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 the, and, the, and the vampire slapped it out of the guy's hand. 
And he says, it only works if you believe in it. And I went, okay, this is a crazy movie that's not very biblical, but that right there hits home. Because a lot of us have empty confessions of faith. Or we believe, we say we believe, but our heart... <laughs> our heart ain't in it. Our heart ain't in it. Parents, when you're tired, your kids have gotten on your nerves. I mean, yeah, and all of us, most of us have been there. You know, you don't speak with the same authority. You cut it out. You're like, oh, would you please stop? I mean, it's just, it, you're, the authority ain't in your voice anymore because you're troubled. And because you're troubled, you don't speak with that authority. Your kids know it. So they're just like, oh, she's just tired of us. Ah, let's do whatever we want to do. But you don't have that same conviction in your voice. You don't have that same conviction with what you're saying because your heart's not behind it. And so when we go out in the kingdom, and, and let me put this in perspective, when we go out in the kingdom and we have a revelation, our heart is fully in it because it feels good. But when we've had those moments where we've been influenced by the wicked one and we said something at work that ain't decent, or we had a fight with our significant other, or me and one of the other brothers decides to get into a fight, all of a sudden, our heart is not in our confession because we're thinking more about our mess up than we are thinking about his power, than we are thinking about his authority, than we are thinking about all power is given unto him. And so while he says, go there, go and minister, we're going, I, I, I just, I can't do it. Or I'm only going to say, you know, what sounds good. You'd be surprised at how many preachers fall into this trap. You'd be surprised at how many good believers fall into this trap. They don't want to tell you about something because in their heart they're convicted because they're not doing it. And instead of proclaiming the truth for both of you, they don't proclaim the truth at all because they feel convicted. If one of these guys that you see on the street, and, and I'm not mocking them, I pray for them a lot. But if one of these guys that you see on the street talks to themselves, you know, organizes chicken bones and whatever and flips them and has conversations with them, you know, in other words, he's mentally challenged. You kind of walk by and don't really pay too much attention to what he says. But if that guy turns to you and says the sky is blue and he's obviously crazy, does his craziness negate the truth of what he spoke? No, it does not. Because the sky is still blue. You may not want to receive it from that vessel, but the sky's still blue. Just like each and every one of us, when we have that moment, we may think, well, I can't declare this, that, and the other because my heart is against me. I feel convicted. I feel this, that, and the other. Yeah, but your conviction doesn't negate the truth of God. It's still truth. It's his truth. It's not mine. And so I'm not going to take away from him just because I'm having a crazy day. You say, well, does that give me a, an excuse to have a crazy day? Should we sin more so that grace should abound? No. No. God forbid. So hopefully somewhere along the line you're going, you know what, Lord, I see this. I, I got. I, uh, you're right, and I got to get right. Help me to get this out of my life. Help me to get this, get this situation past me. Help me to move on. Help me to be strengthened from it. But at the end of the day, you still have a job to do. Imagine if David turned around and said, King David turned around and said, you know, uh, just killed somebody. I just, just had a child, and the child died. I took somebody's wife, and I killed him. My sons are bad, and we're raping one another, and killing each other, and trying to take the kingdom. 
I'm just going to stop being king and just gonna go over here. I got people killed. No. He repented for a time, but he never left his position. He got right with God. And we today are learning from David's example, both his successes and his failures. And God said, this is a man after my own heart. So each and every one of us has to watch when our confidence is attacked because of our situations. And then when God sends us somewhere, we're not effective because we don't step in it like we should. Does this make sense? I notice most of y'all train dogs. If you don't speak with conviction when you are telling your dog what to do, your dog will recognize that immediately. Come here. You don't mean that. <laughs> so when you go out somewhere, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of them. You don't mean that. And then we're going, it doesn't work. I thought he had all the authority and power. He does. But if you go into a situation half-hearted and, and taking yourself out of it and kind of just throwing words out there that, that don't mean anything, then there is no power behind it. Yeah. Who are you? Can I, can, I, can I give you one more example before we move on with something that's a lot closer to home? I'm not, this isn't throw punch, this isn't, I'm just, I'm declaring this so that you see it in a more practical sense. In the name of Jesus, amen. Did you really agree with anything that you heard being prayed? Did you really even listen to what was being prayed? And do you really think that Jesus is going to answer them? Are you just saying a catchphrase that we are trained as Christians to say after every prayer? In the name of Jesus, amen. But we don't expect anything to happen because of it. So not even being attacked directly, sometimes just being callous and just going from years and years of seeing impotence in the church and impotence in our uh, relationship and impotence in what goes on in the kingdom that we just get used to living in ineffectiveness. Instead of expecting when I show up that now God's ambassador is in the building and now God has in place what he needs to effect change where he has placed it. On your job, wherever it is that you're at, well, I'm an SO, I can't do this, that, and the other, or I'm too black, or I'm too Hispanic, or whatever, doesn't matter. I'm too white, they're gonna think I'm a MAGA follower. You probably are, and God will forgive you, but at the end of the day, <laughs> look, no, <laughs> no, look, like, Mike's like, all right now, watch it. <laughs> but at the end of the day, God has placed you somewhere to be effective and powerful. And he's just looking at you like it's not what's coming through you. It's your disconnect because of your heart. Because of your heart. What's the next verse? For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Starts here. Next verse. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. There is something in that. Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. 
Not who believes, well, if I do this enough, if I yell this loud enough, if I'm just right enough to be able to do this, that, and the other, then, then Christ will work. No, he expects you to show up, be humble, be submitted, and speak as he tells you to speak, and serve as he tells you to serve, and watch and see the power of God at work. Because you believe on him, not because you believe that you have to add to it and be just good enough in order for it to work. I'm going to say this, and I don't want, you know, I, I really don't want people rescuing me in this moment. I'm just bearing how I think. There have been times, and even now, that I'm like, you know what? I don't preach like T.D. Jakes. I love his preaching. Some of y'all think he yells a lot, and that's, that's, you know, that's for everybody. But I like T.D. Jakes' preaching. I like David Jeremiah's preaching. I like people who are excitable, and I love people who are line upon line, just breaking down truth, line upon line. Sometimes, you know, it's a little... But still, at the end of the day, I like good teaching, and I love... I just If I know there's meat in there, I, I love it. And then I would look at that, and I know they that compare themselves with themselves are unwise. And I would look at that and go, I can't preach like teaching I can't preach like many of the people that I see. And you know what? I'm not called to. I'm not called to. And when I recognize that, I'm like, Lord, I don't consider myself some great uh, theologian and some knowledgeable preacher that can go and just, you know, have the same cadence and do all these other things. I don't even look at it as being a great preacher. I just look at it as being obedient, showing up, and making sure, Lord, what is it, the, what is it that you would have to be said to your people? And let me get out the way so that your people can hear your word or your people can be served in the capacity that you have given me. And then I'm not worried about being good enough because there's a lot of times that you've given me a message and I'm like, Lord, I am. <laughs> that's going to be a challenge. I'm going to definitely need your help and that's good because it's on him because it's his power, it's his word and I believe on him and his effectiveness not me and my ability to say things with the right emphasis on the right syllable. <laughs> when our comfort, when our comfort, when our confidence is um, affected we don't serve with the same passion that we're used to. When Peter, uh, when he was affected, he went all the way down to timidly denying Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Somewhere along the line, he got the revelation of whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. And all of a sudden, instead of Peter saying, I have to do this, I have to protect you, I have to do all these things, now Peter says, I have to wait on your spirit to move, and yes, Lord, your servant's listening, whatever it is that you will have me to do, I will do. And now, you turn around from the same Peter who rejected Jesus Christ to Acts the second chapter, after he spent a long time with other disciples, waiting and praying and the spirit moved, that now, here's this movement, people are demanding an answer, and Peter steps up and says, these men are not drunk as you suppose. And it begins to lay down the doctrine of what God is doing in that moment, and 3,000 people are saved. And if you notice in that scripture, none of the disciples are going, You again, dude, where were you going to shut up? And Peter, 
You never see where he says, you know what, Lord, I, I, I know you said feed your sheep and I'm bothered by it. He immediately stood up being filled with the Spirit and spoke and 3,000 people were saved. You say, look at his past. Yeah, look at yours. But at the end of the day, look at his obedience. Look at his obedience and look at his heart being aligned with God. And when he spoke, there was power in what he said. You say, well, my, my, my issues are, you know, worse than Peter's. There is no sin which is taking you except such as which is common to man, mankind, to people, men and women. In other words, you ain't in the boat alone. People who suffer addiction, all of them suffer the same root, even though it's different fruit. Some people are addicted to crack. Some people are addicted to coffee. Doesn't matter. The same, <laughs> the same addiction is there. There is something that you feel that has power over you and you need it in order to live instead of to be able to enjoy it. But at the end of the day, God called you and I to stand and just have our heart aligned with His and let Him work through each and every one of us. It's the reason why in the beginning of the Great Commission, all power is given unto me on heaven and on earth. Then you go. Don't worry about what you can and can't do. Just worry about what I tell you to do, and I will give you the power to do what I called you to do. I think somebody sent me a text a little while ago, a couple days ago, and uh, they, said, they said, are you ready for a bigger church? And one of my things of, of when it comes to that is if God says we're ready, then we're ready. If God says we're not ready, we're not ready. If I think that we're ready and God says we're not ready, guess what? We ain't going nowhere. And if I think that we're not ready and God says we're ready, it doesn't matter. We're moving. So really all I have to do is just be prepared when God blows the trumpet and says pick up camp and move to this location. Pick up camp and move to this location. All I have to do is say, Lord, I need to spend time with you so that my heart is aligned with you instead of thinking about my inadequacies, about how I don't match up, how I'm not ready for something that big. Guess what? He didn't ask me, was I ready? He just said, follow me. He just said, follow me. How many times did he tell the disciples, are you ready? Let's go. He said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They were in the middle of working, some of them. <laughs> and he said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Some of you guys were in the middle of any number of different things. And he says, follow me. He didn't ask you if you were ready. He said, follow me. Along the way, he is developing you and getting you ready. Some of you people, you people, some of you members, <laughs> that don't sound right. It's like, you people, that doesn't sound right. But some of us think, well, I'm not as educated as so-and-so. So I, I, I preach, or I talk, or I teach, or I share but I'm not all that confident in what I'm doing because I, I, I don't have the words like Mark does. I don't have the same passion like, like John does. I don't have the same personable personability or whatever you want to call it that, that Kevin does. And you know what? If he wanted that, he'd have called Kevin or John or Mark. If he calls you to serve or calls you to speak, he calls who he created. There is personality, there's characteristics, there's background, there's development in you that's specifically geared towards uh, the audience or whoever it is that God has you going towards. It's just like me. I've always seen, pastor smells like the sheep. Matter of fact, and, and I'm probably going along with this and so we got to do communion, one of the, the things that I saw in Everlasting Covenant during the prayer service was three things. 
I saw number one, I was preaching to a lot of people. And being on the radio and doing different other things, that has been a moment in my life. And then I saw the middle, another segment, small cell, sunlight, the, I forgot what they call it, but it's when the sunlight comes through and you see the beam hit something and it was on the Bible. And I went, oh no, Lord, what does that mean? And then after that, it's me standing in front of a small room with a whole bunch of people that are dressed the same, have the same ugly glasses on and all these other things. I basically look like everybody in the congregation. And what that taught me was, okay, there's a stage in your ministry where you're just out there. There's a stage in your ministry where you have to relearn who I am and who you are in me. But then there's a stage in your ministry where you're going to be speaking to people who are just like you. The same as you. And when you return, strengthen your brethren. And the same message is to each and every one of you. Whatever it is that you go through on a daily basis or some things that you've been struggling for the rest of you know, throughout your life. But when you repent and turn to God, you let Him worry about working things out in your life as you surrender to Him. But as He brings you back, go strengthen your brother. Don't just gloss over it, but strengthen your brother. Because the ones that are next to you will learn from your life and be encouraged by your situation. Don't go into it with a broken heart and say, you know what, Lord, I, uh, my past is so bad. Yeah, it is. But your God is so good. Don't let your, your lack of confidence ruin your effectiveness for ministry. Know that despite where you've been, that blood has you covered, that blood has covered you, that blood is continuing to cover you, and the Holy Spirit is continuing to bring you into His image from glory to glory. And so that means that, you know what, I'm not a completed word. I'm going to have some days that don't look good. I'm going to have some moments where I don't shine bright, but you know what, I know who's working on me. I know who's working on <coughs> Trying to hold it together. I'll close with this. There are two scriptures in the Bible that talk about a mirror. And I didn't intend on saying this, but we're going to say it. Two scriptures in the Bible that talk about a mirror. One of them is looking into the law of liberty and seeing Christ and being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. The same thing that I just mentioned. And that would encourage you. That would strengthen your heart. Because you see, I'm a mess, but I see where you're taking me. And you take comfort in that. I'm not there yet, but I'm on my way. I'm not fully, you know, woo-hoo, but wherever I am, I still know that I'm covered. And so I can give glory to God despite whatever it is that's going on in my life. And then in James, there's another person who looks into the law of liberty and sees himself. And he gets discouraged. And he walks away. When your heart is only focused on you and your failures and your inabilities to do whatever it is you think that God has you to do, you will get discouraged and at some point you will find yourself backtracking your way out of the call on your life. But if you look into that law of liberty and say, you know what, Lord? I see what you're transforming me into. I ain't perfect. I ain't there yet. But day by day, I'm going to get there. And each day that you're taking me there, I'm going to make that day count and do exactly what you called me to do. And let you work the effectiveness through your servant. All of that comes from confidence. Not confidence in you, but confidence in him. And despite where your heart is at, it's keeping that confidence, no matter what it is that you're facing and what it is that you're going through. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you.
that you hold us. You hold our world in your hands and you hold us each and every day. You see us when we're living for you and we're proud of it. You see us when we're living for our flesh and we just want to run and hide. But at the end of the day, Father, we thank you for sending Jesus Christ not only to die for us, but also to live and to bring us along in the same pattern. And not only that, but to be able to put your spirit on the inside of us to empower us to live as you have called us to live. And not only that, but for so much more that you have done in our life that, Lord, we shouldn't focus on our inefficiency, but to focus on your greatness and grace and glory that covers us, that your strength is made perfect in our weakness, and that you did not call all these bright, powerful people, but you called the weak, you called those who are disenfranchised in order to show your power for Help us, Lord, to be confident in our hearts, to be confident in you and in your word and in what you said and what you continue to say so that we can be the effective ministers that you have called us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we get ready to do communion and not the cupcakes and all that stuff that's next door, that's later. When you ever feel discouraged and you think, <laughs> that I'm just the worst thing ever and you may have done some worse things but at the end of the day this communion that we do on a continual basis reminds us of the fact that yet while we were sinners Christ died for us his love for each and every one of us started before we were perfected while we were sinners while we were unlovable he chose to love us then what makes you think that on this side of perfection you're going to get them to love you more? It's not going to happen. He already chose to love you at your worst. And as he improves you and gets you to, go to where he called you to be, that should be an encouragement that if he loved me even then, then he's looking to help me get through what I'm going through now. He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And so as you go through life, this blood, while yet a somber ordinance, should also be an encouragement. He shed blood for me. His body was broken for me because he invested in me to be who he called me to be. Not based on my ability but based on his grace. <coughs> Would you all stand? The Bible says, For I have received from the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. Father, we thank you for the body that was broken for each and every one of us. But the same body that was raised on the third day to open the doors for each and every one of us to experience eternal life. We thank you, Father. We pray that as this body broken enters into our body, enters into the body of Christ, that it unifies each and every one of us to be the body you have called us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed, not only for our redemption, but for our atonement, to sanctify us, to set us apart, and to seal us for you, to seal us away from the world, to separate us from who we used to be, so that we can grow into who we are now in Christ Jesus. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And before I end this prayer, Father, I pray that as we talk about and as we know that there is power in the blood, I pray, Lord, for healing to come through the blood that we are about to partake of. I pray for restoration and wholeness and encouragement for all the mental as well as physical illnesses and maladies that plague the people in this congregation. I pray that this blood that we are about to ingest, based in faith on what the blood represents, which is the blood of Jesus Christ, does a work on each and every one of us of restoration, of healing, of wholeness, of sanctification in the name of Jesus. Amen. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the words death until he comes. I know today went a little long, and I know at times some of the things that we talk about uh, can be hard to hear, but at the end of the day, the message is still the same. He's bringing you out of what is holding you down so that you can stand as a person he has called you to be. And, the, and if you summarize this message into a much shorter time frame than what we took, it's essentially, it's not based on where your heart is as far as your ability and your confidence in your ability. It has nothing to do with it. It's based on your heart towards Him and believing in Him and allowing Him to do the work in your life and through your life. And you will find that He will take people that the world will overlook and put them into a position where the world can't see nothing but them because of the effectiveness of what He has called them to do. Would you lift your hands for the, for the benediction? Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever, let the church say, Amen. 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 God bless you.